This is the Make America Grape Again podcast, produced and recorded by Cody Burkett, the Arizona Wine Monk. In this podcast, we explore wines from all 50 states in the United States of America. Welcome to another episode of the Make America Grape Again podcast for season two, Missouri Loves Company. We're here talking about the 2008 Premium Claret, Missouri Table Wine from Les Bourgeoisies. Les Bourgeois. Les Bourgeois in Rocheport, Missouri. I, of course, am your traditional host, Cody Vladimir Burkett, CSW. And I'm Megan. Veni Vidi Drinky, also CSW. I'm Kim Musket, assistant winemaker at Arizona Stronghold, originally hailed from Missouri. Got my educational winemaking there. Kim is actually the one who brought this bottle for us out of the kindness of her heart and also because she has thought that my opinion of Norton was a heresy. Uh, <laughs> or borderline heresy. Better than others in this area. Uh, like I have said to you before in the past that I've never had a good Norton, then I had a good Norton, which was the season one, episode one, episode from Kentucky, where I finally said, I think I sent you a text that night, it's like, okay, I can finally see why people like Norton. Yeah. I don't like it, but I can see why people go crazy yeah, for it. it's an acquired taste, just like everything is for people. Yes. So it's like... kind of interesting. Like, my mother, who's born in Missouri, hates Norton, hates Chamberson. I thought you were going to say that your mother was an acquired taste. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you realize my mom is going to listen to this podcast yes. now, because I already told her. Oh, goddamn. Hi, Mom! Okay, like, that's not where I was going with that. <laughs> not what I was going. I was just saying how much oh, she hates Norton God. Shamerson, and I always make her try it. You wanted to talk about this particular winery facility. All right, so uh, Les Bourgeois. Les Bourgeois is the family name. The, and I forget what year they actually opened. Doc Bourgeois. Don't know Doc's real name. He started this as a family. It was his wife and four kids. And it starts out on a Missouri bluff top overlooking the Missouri River. And the A-frame is now like an outdoor seating area, and the A-frame building is actually where he used to live with his wife and four kids and started winemaking there. And then off I-70, this is about a mile off the I-70, which is the main interstate, he bought this cafe, it was like Peter's or Pete's Cafe or something, and converted it into a cellar because he was making wine and everyone's like, this wine's really good, you should make wine and sell it. So he expanded, and then this is actually where I did my internship back in like, 2011 and when i started they were expanding their production facility to a second building they had tanks outside with insulated jackets because they're growing so big they're currently the third largest winery in the state and they have they do make sweeter wines they make really nice dry wines they have a collecting uh, collector series but it's really interesting to see how he literally started from making wine in his basement essentially to having a full-fledged winery that's pretty cool and this yeah. is 2008 what was I doing in 2008? I had just graduated high school. <laughs> what about you, Megan? 2008? Um, I mean, I guess I started college then. I know that was the first time I went to Europe. Nice. So getting into some wines. <laughs> Not at the time, I wish. It makes me mad. But uh, 2008. Yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to think. That when... was my third year in college. My oh, freshman year in college. So my, my, my junior year. That was the year I think I discovered Eastern Orthodoxy, come to think of it. And also broke up with my horrible, horrible ex. 2008 was a good year there in my go. life. And now you have a wine to commemorate Indeed. it. Indeed. There you go. 
So um, one of the cool things we're going to be talking about in this episode, along with cool facts about the Norton Grape. Hold on. True facts about the Norton Grape. Uh, along with that, we're also going to be talking about differences in winemaking traditions with this grape, as well as statewide between Missouri and Arizona, because you have experience with both, and because uh, um, because I can, and it's my podcast, bitches! Uh-huh. But I like Norton, so... Yeah. And, and uh, the other thing we're going to talk about a little bit is... Rito glasses. Fact or fiction menace? Yeah, I haven't tried that the other one yet. No, we haven't. I know. I want to. I know. I'm so excited. Let's talk about what we're getting on the nose and the no- Let's talk about what we're getting for the Norton glasses first. I'm going to talk about the, the wine or the book first. I'm fine with either one. That's a good question. Actually, first, let's talk about the bottle. Megan, Vinny Vitti Drink, if you would be so kind. Okay. Um, this full-bodied dry red showcases the unique characteristics of Norton, the state grape of Missouri. A bouquet of violet and spicy earth tones with the rich fruit flavors linger through a light tannin finish. I guess we should talk about the grape, and then we'll talk about yeah, the wine, we'll talk about and then grapes. all the other stuff. Yeah. So. That's oh, all right. So Norton's kind of an interesting grape. I was born and raised in Missouri, so I see it a lot of places. But Norton actually originated up in Virginia, kind of. A Dr. Norton, Dr. Daniel Norton, was the one that was doing some crossbreeding, trying to find grapes that grew well and made good wine, essentially. And he finally created this Norton. At the same time, or down the road, actually... A grape was found in the Midwest area called Cynthiana. And due to genetic testing, actually proved it's the same grape. So it's interesting how a breed, a crossbreed, naturally happened in two different areas of the country. So in the Midwest, and I've seen it in Missouri, a lot of times Norton, you hear Norton or you hear Cynthiana, Norton's usually made as a heavier styled grape versus Cynthiana, which is a little lighter bodied. Uh, When you look at a Norton, it's a small, tight, cluster with very small berries that are one to one to one ratio of skin seed juice so when you ferment you have a shit ton of seeds so a lot of times you'll want to rack off your skins and juice early off the seeds i've had a 1500 gallon tank red fermenter that we racked out of and we had eight inches of just seeds at the bottom of the tank so you know it's very interesting to see then cynthiana you usually go to press a little earlier during the fermentation, so it's a little lighter bodied, not as much tannin. Is anyone, uh, two weird questions, uh, is anyone making a, a Norton Rosé? Not to my knowledge, but I haven't lived in Missouri for the past few years, so I uh, don't question know. Question number two. This, the difference is outrageous. I know. This is, uh, yeah, the look on our face is just like, holy shit. And bitches, that's why I brought these glasses to go with Norton. So cool. <laughs> Wait, did we explain that we have the different Oh, glasses? not yet. I mentioned Riedel Glasses Factor Fiction. Well, but yeah, but yeah, we so. didn't... Okay. Well, well, they just have to wait till we get there. Mm-hmm. Patience, yeah. young Padawans. And well, old yeah. Padawans. Because none of you younger than 21 in the United States should be listening to this podcast. Well, they can listen. Because, they can oh my listen. God, why? They can listen. They can listen. They just can't... Join in. Exa- yes, yes. The, the They're preparing they themselves for the future. Remember, kids, underage drinking isn't cool, even though we all did it. I'm from Italian descent, so... Yeah, yeah. right? <laughs> that was Sunday night dinners. <laughs> drinking wine. Yeah, so, uh... Cynthia, Norton, different styles. As far as I know, not to my knowledge, baking rosés. Another thought, before we, um, tangentially, sparkling. 
as a sparkling red, like a sparkling Shiraz. Not that I've seen. It would be really kind of interesting to see. Because it occurs to me that this aroma profile, and I haven't tasted this one yet, but I think that would make, if it was done in this sort of style, it might be an interesting I sparkler. think you'd have to look mm -hmm. at the tannins. because So this is an 08. This is older. I personally, all the Nortons I've had, they have to be at least five years old before you even entertain the idea of drinking them. And they need age and barrel because the bear, the oak's going to calm down the tannins, because they're very tight tannins. So we decanted this for quite a while. About 45 minutes. Yeah. So I opened recently a 10, probably about a month ago, and just straight off it was so tight. Like you, Did you smell it when you put it in the decanter? I didn't. Well, briefly. But... Okay. So it's pretty tight, so it needs time to open. So my personal experience seeing Norton's, the older they are, the better they are. They need I, that time. The other reason I asked is because I have heard rumors that someone somewhere in Oklahoma has made or is making or is planning on making a sparkling Norton. It could be. Um, I was just wondering on you know, your thoughts on that because you actually have the physical experience with this yeah. grape. I mean, I would be interested to experiment with. I just don't know looking at the tannins. Like I said, since it's so when it's really young, it's really rough. Unless you would do like a bottle conditioned sparkling that sits for years before you disgorge and Which maybe that's what they yeah I mean did I could see that would be, have done it'd be complex for sure I think that that would pop like the blackberry and currant flavors out too yeah I don't know anyway sorry continue no, no you're fine I totally lost my train of thought hmm. Norton is good I mean that was really it I think do you have any questions about Norton oh probably. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you that originally it was thought, and I'm not going to uh, say the cross very well, they thought it was Vitus labrusca and Vitus vinifera, and it was later proven that it's Vitus vinifera and Vitus, and I'm not going to be able to say that word. Estevalis? Estevalis. Estevalis. I can never say that. That would be my guess. Um, it's Estevalis. Yeah. yeah. So, and if it's wrong, I'll probably get one or two angry emails. That's okay. That's why I said someone else try to pronounce it. <laughs> I can't pronounce anything. Yeah, so I think that's kind of interesting. Down the road, it was proven that it wasn't Labresca. Which makes sense. I'm not getting any of the typical Labresca characters no. on the nose from what I've poked at so far. Yeah. Because I've only mostly been focusing on the nose. And uh, we were sharing, um, we have a non Norton glass. Yeah. That's what so the, these are Riedels that are specifically for Norton. Yeah, right? so yeah. Riedel was commissioned to make these Riedel glasses, and I don't know if it was Missouri, Virginia, or... Just Missouri. Yeah, whoever it was. But I got these years ago with my mom and I wine tasting, and my mom bought eight glasses, four for me, four for her, and I got all eight because she doesn't like Norton. <laughs> but they're kind of a bigger bowl with a, a narrow opening at the top. It makes me think of an egg. Yeah. yeah, it's, it's very like a egg duck shape. egg. Yeah, with just so, the top cut off. For yeah. for those of you who don't know, uh, a duck egg is a little bit longer and more elongated. And longer and more elongated. Same thing. Great. Well done. Did so well. <laughs> then a chicken egg, and it's like that with the, the top cut yeah. off. So it gives good swirling area, but it helps narrow the nose. And it's really concentrating. One of these Norton glasses will be in the picture for this episode, I promise. Oh, yeah. Mostly because I'm going to beg and plead with uh, Kim to let me borrow a glass for the photos that I want to take with this wine, ideally. I would expect you to. Good. Good. But uh, the nose in our other glass, um, which is... 
what even shape do we call that? It's a hard tulip. Sure, we'll call it that. I don't know. Yeah. It's kind of tulipy, but it's got sharper. Yeah. Instead of more rounded, it's sharper. Yeah, it's sharper sharp turn. tulip. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, and this one there's just there's really nothing. No. Like it's yeah. so All light. All I'm getting is the soft. Ooh. You know. Frickety frackety clickety clackety. Where did I put that glass? You know, I put this the opening on this glass. I put it right on the top of my lip, and it goes almost. You know, it's above my eyebrows. So yeah, it's, it's such it's a just... wide opening. And all I'm getting on that is floral. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I have a third glass. It's very light. You just don't get anything. Like, this is why when I bring Norton to friends, especially here that don't know Norton. Ah! Oh. Oh, God. There goes my Turkish cup. Oh, no. Uh, the handle broke off. Oh. Oh, well. I'm glad I didn't do it. No, it's my fault. You know, I do have to say that little stand up there on that shelf is Isn't making it fantastic? me fantastic. It's and great, no, yeah, but, but it's, it's hanging off. It is giving me a little anxiety. There, it's better. So I have this really cool style of glass that's kind of designed for uh, picking up and focusing exclusively. Exclusively, Ari. <laughs> the words tonight. Exclusively. <laughs> and it's not the wine. We just started. Yeah. yeah. So this is a, a particular style of glass that's kind of designed exclusively for focusing uh, secondary and tertiary aromas oh, in wine. Fancy. Um, so you basically hold it like this, and then uh, so I'm going to pour some Norton into yeah. this and, and see what happens, because I'm really curious yeah. uh, what we're going to get. And yeah. So thanks for joining us in the Super Geeky Podcast. If you don't like it, then uh, don't listen. See, now, when I smell it in this glass, this is normally what I associate with Norton and why I don't like it, because it smells... Funky. Funky? So I always describe Norton, a descriptor word I like. This is so cool. Isn't it fun? Uh, yeah. That's just so fancy. My pinky's like... It literally is a pinky... pinky wants to go out, but yeah. it's going the wrong direction. It's pinky <laughs> under bitches. Yeah. My nose is making funny noises. <laughs> yeah, no, so that's definitely like a typical Norton. See, I get like... It's, it's going to sound so bad the way I say it. That... Wet, not rotting wood, but in the forest after wet the wood. rainfall. Yeah, but it's like it's, wet forest floor. Forest. Yeah, but it's oh. that it's like an elm tree that's dead, but it hasn't started rotting, but it's wet. See, yeah, the other, I, I see. Yeah, the other podcasts I always think I describe smells as memories. I see this specific spot in the woods behind my house growing up with a tree. Versus when we in the Riedel glass. I get not only the, the I get not only the floral characters that are in our hard tulip glass, uh, a sort of a violet violet character, but I'm also getting those fruits, sort of blackberry, black currant, yeah, um, and a little bit of that forest floor character, but it's and not. So I started getting that right before you guys started talking about it. Was yeah, that yeah. kind of damp, and I mean, but it's so not way. the yeah, primary it's... focus like it is in that glass. Right, well, that's such which a small to... narrow opening that's really funneling that. So what we can determine from that is that that is a yeah, so classically a tertiary or secondary aroma. One one way I used to describe Norton to people that were just learning Norton is it almost has an unami characteristic to it. You know, like not the mushroom, not MSG, but like that moss. Yeah. You know that damp moss in yeah. the woods. Like it just has this forest spell, but like healthy, happy forest. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and that's happy it's a trees. flavor that. People aren't used to in wine. You're used yeah. to fruits and mm -hmm. and yeah. light, you know. And then you talk about woods and moss, and they're like, oh, it's something that you're not used to. Yeah. And so I think that's what turns a lot of people off of Norton. And I think that I'm and just 
smelling in this glass, and I still have not tasted it yet. Yeah, none of it. I haven't tasted it. Yeah, we haven't, because we're still focusing on geeking out over the nose. I want want to taste it, but I want to wait for everybody else to. It almost has, like, a little elderberry in there, too. Yeah, like elderberry as opposed to elderflower. Yeah. Maybe a little bit of um, huckleberry as well. It's very berry-licious on the nose. Almost juicy. Yeah. Remember, this is an 08. God. Yeah, it smells vibrant. This doesn't smell tired or weary. Yeah. So the first ever Norton I had uh, may have gotten heat zapped, um, but it was from Kansas, and I found it to be very horrible. It reminded me of, actually, the ex that I had just broken up with, who had nagged me constantly, like, what kind of grape she was, and it tasted literally like someone, it tasted naggy. Like, this is a person that just nags you about everything. Oh, that's so funny. (laughs) And I was like, I hate this. This is horrible. Why the fuck do people like Norton? I tasted another one from somewhere else that, again, it was slightly better. Then I tasted the Kentucky one uh, in episode one, season one, that it was just like, oh, I can see why people like this grape. Here is a Norton that just based on nose alone, haven't tasted it yet, I like. Yeah. Yeah. You've convinced me, Kim, that there is such a thing as a good Norton that I like. It, and I, I haven't even tasted this yet, which is I think is a like, lot of it whoa. comes to stylistic, and that comes back to the talk about Norton in Arizona. Yeah. So, Norton in the Midwest, I've seen in Missouri, grows like a weed. I mean, the leaves are just monstrous. The, just, the canopies are vicious and just, I mean, tendrils grab you as you walk down the vine rows. <laughs> it's a freaking war. I mean, you can't... It literally... So, I... To backtrack real fast... During college, I did viticulture research, so I was out in the vi- the vineyards two and a half years doing canopy management, pruning, everything. So seeing it go from dormant to these, like, the tendrils are reaching across nine-foot spanning rows that are you have to walk through like you're walking through, you know, the woods, knocking down spider webs, you're knocking down tendrils <laughs> because they're just reaching, up, you know, yeah. grabbing each other. So then it, it's just vibrant there come here, there's really only two places I've known that have grown it. One has already torn it out and we're probably potentially going to tear it out of our state vineyard as well. You have it growing in your state vineyard? So there's a test row in Bonita Springs. Okay. It's never been site archived or showcased. It's just blended away. Okay, so then there's three plantings I'm aware of in the state now. Where's the other one? The other one is in the worst possible place in Florence, Arizona. It's part of a show vineyard at Windmill Vineyard. Nice. As far as I'm aware, they've tried to make, they've made one or two wines from it, but now they're not even a functioning winery. They're just a, a, a wedding venue. Gotcha. And the other uh, but one, they had Norton planted. The other one, I'm not sure if it was House Mountain or not, but House Air, Mountain. Yeah, it was House Mountain. They've already torn it out, to yeah. my knowledge. Yeah, and Gary, was, remember, I remember Gary Kurtz telling me a lot about how pathetic and sad yeah. it looked. Well, and so we do it on High Curtain in the Midwest. That way, because it's a more, it wants, so VSP is your cordons are closer to the ground mm-hmm. and your shoots grow vertical, vertical yeah. shoot positioning. High curtain, your cordon, your trellis is about between five and six foot bending, so it's short, you know, when it's six foot and you're shorter and you're reaching above you to do work, but it's Is that easier curtain. or harder? Shoulders get really strong. Okay. Uh, it's better for picking, because the fruit zone's right in front of your face, so you're not on your knees picking, but, you know, you're doing shoot positioning and leaf removal, your hands are all up here yeah. working. So it's about six, you know, five to six foot, depending on your vineyard where you put it in, but high curtain, because Norton has more of a downward growing hmm. tendency. So what I've noticed here in Arizona, everyone plants on a VSB, which yeah. in the Midwest, a lot of the wineries I went to is high curtain 
or pending what varietal you planted. Because some varietals are more of an upward growth position. So Vignole, I don't know if you've talked about Vignole yet in any uh, podcast. Yes, we did. That was, I think, in the Chamberson blend, wasn't it? Uh, not the Chamberson blend. Or not but Chamberson. The, um, um, Chardonnay. Chardonnay. Okay. Yeah. So there's vineyards in the Midwest that do VSP or High Curtain. I, th- so, I want to say that... The trellising for the one planting of vineyards in the state of Arizona is High Curtain, and that's at uh, Del Rio Springs in Poland. Okay. Well, it's good to know that other people are venturing out and not just doing the same thing. Yeah. Sidetrack. Sidetracking. It happens. Uh, side note, based on the aromas alone, mm. eventually I'll get to fucking drinking this, but I know. I it's... almost get, and I know we're sitting around all your cigars and stuff, but I almost get that tobacco leaf in there. Yeah. Um, actually, Now that it's of... open some more. <laughs> As he whips out the cigar. No, this is the cigar I want to pair with it. This is the... Oh, I found that one. Finest Hour from Padilla. This is the Oscuro wrapper. Yeah. Actually, I think that's the Did exact tobacco this... scent on Wait, here. Wait, maybe this is the one I had. Did you have this? So, the front part broke when I dropped it, so I trimmed it short or shorter. No, but... I don't know. I have one like the... They also the make three or four too. others. Okay. Uh, I had something very dark... Like that dark, heavy... Yeah, that would go really nice with it. Um, possibly also... Oh, I wonder... As I pull cigars out of my treasure box. Tangent time. What is that? Ah! Oh, shit. Sorry. No, that was my fault. Uh, this is the Puma Cow Corda Toro, which is in a Brazilian tobacco. Yeah, this is what I'm going to pair with it. Oh, I think that would be even better than good. the Oscuro. For, for pairing. Kind of like cocoa nubby. Yeah. Good. Which uh, I think accentuates and balances out the nose characters. Now again, have not tasted it. This is the moment of truth. Yeah. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna finally put uh, my tongue where my mouth is. My glass where my mouth is? Something. Yeah, I wanna pair this with the Fuma Cow. For sure. Very bright. It's yeah. It has a lot more acidity, yeah, and a lot more fruit character than I was expecting from an 08 anything. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's got like bright fruit, cherry, cherry like stone fruit in there, black yeah. plum. Um, yeah, it tastes blackberry, huckleberry. Compared to the nose, you'd think it'd be a lot heavier, yeah, yeah less acidic, really and, and there's some, I'm not getting much in the way of tannins now. No. no. Those tannins have, have really balanced out. And that's the thing. Like, a really young Norton, it's grippy as hell. You're just like... Clingy. You know, and then now... Which, it's... again, also made me think of the, that Ben X. Because it was whiny <laughs> and tannic and grippy tannins. I'll leave you alone. And so, yeah, it was just like, this is a naggy and won't leave me alone. This is, this is like... But anyway. That X. I won't drop her name here because, I mean, she'll never listen because she hates wine. That was another reason why she's like, why do you drink so much? Because wine's delicious. Uh, Yeah, because wine is delicious and because it's my job. Ah! You know, you should start filming these on Wines Day. Uh... (laughs) I'm so punny. (laughs) Honestly... One of my first iteration of thoughts for this podcast was to do an episode every week and post it on Wednesday. Because Wednesday, I mean, Wednesday. Be fun, yeah. But the problem is that just didn't give me enough lag time to edit yeah. and send these off to uh, our post-edit, post-production editor, oh. uh, Derek J. Power, Esquire. Um, okay, he doesn't go by 
Esquire, but anyway. It just, <laughs> Not yet. You you need to add the Esquire after his name because it's just Derek J. Power. I mean, come on. Yeah. That's just like Derek J. Power, Captain of Industry. <laughs> Derek is probably face palming as he edits this and probably will. He's going to take all this out. He's like, nope. He's going to be like, nope, nope, Don't talk nope, about me. Don't talk about me. Um, but he's the one who puts the music in in the front and does the final editing. Oh, okay. Cool. Because that's what I... I don't know how to do that. And he does. Gotcha. Uh, You're the talent. I, I just drink and I know things. And mm-hmm. as do you. Mm-hmm. And then I press the record button. Yay. It's just really fascinating. Now I'm wondering what this will taste like. Yeah, to see that. Out of a, a different glass. See, this one's making it sharper and more pointed. And some like, of those tannins and acidities are just more directed like the glass. down the center mm-hmm. of your tongue. <laughs> like the glass. Yeah. The sharp tulip. What are you getting? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> um, I mean, palette-wise, and I don't know, I feel like maybe this is wrong, but I feel like I'm getting a lot of blueberry, like, on the finish. No, like, totally. Late, it's very blueberry. Like, blueberry, like, bilberry. I, like, I don't get it on the front of it, but it's like the, when it kind of turns yeah. out, it's like that finish is just yeah. blueberries. Blueberry is a very underrated descriptor. Yeah. But it works. No, I like and again, that. Again, uh, I really want to pair this with the, the Fumacao. I may have to do that tomorrow after work. Um, again, it sounds terrible, doesn't it? Such a, such a rough way to end work. Yeah. I mean, to be my fair, actual days off. To be fair, you know, you, you actually get a real weekend this till, time of year. Till harvest. Yeah. So, <laughs> and then it doesn't matter. Speaking yeah, of harvest. concept of time. Uh, our, our final discussion point that I wanted to get to in this episode. Oh, yes. What are the key differences in winemaking traditions and harvest traditions? And uh, We talked about in the vineyard a little bit with the, the cordon styles. Yeah. But in the cellar, how are things different uh, between Missouri and Arizona? <laughs> so. <laughs> like the giggle there. Yeah. Like, I have <laughs> never, ever, ever, until I get to Arizona... Add acid to juice to sigillate because you're getting your sugars, but you're not getting the acid where you want it. Mm-hmm. So Missouri, like, we've had good pHs. They might be a little higher, a little low, but you kind of go through it and you know it's going to change with mallow, you know. But then I came here and the first <laughs> juice, you know, we brought fruit in. We needed to sigillate because our pH was like 4-2. And I was like, what? <laughs> You know, our, our bricks are sitting around 24, pushing 25, got a pick, and your TA is like a 4, 4.0 or 4 point something, and I'm just like, this is what? <laughs> I don't understand. I'm like, okay, why did we pick this? Okay. And then we sigillated, and I'm decent at math. I did that math like three different times. I'm like, got the same answer. We added like 24 pounds of tartaric acid. I'm just like, what the fuck? And we had to double, I'm like, someone double checked this. This is insane. You know, so we acidulate to hit that level because we want the wine to be a specific pH to kind of help protect against microbials. And that's why also we sulfite the wine because it also helps protect about different microbials that grow at the different pH levels. Yeah. So Missouri, I've never had to do that before. So that was. Never sulfited or never never, never acidulated? Never acidulated. Okay. We always, we always do sulfuring. You know, the minimum amount. You don't want to go yeah. crazy. But, yeah, so that was the one of the biggest differences. And then most of the vineyards here in Arizona are hand-picked. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of wineries in Missouri, uh, vineyards that are doing mechanical. Hmm. But we have, you know, you set your vineyard up for mechanical picking. VSP is not really super set up for mechanical. Depends on the machine you have. So that's why you do see high curtain. But you have higher production facilities as well. 
So it depends on the winemaking style, too. So there's a lot of boutique wineries in the Midwest that still pick by hand or pending size. You know, if your vineyard's small, you're not going to invest in a $60,000 or $40,000 machine. Yeah. So, you know, and that's all, that's just regional. It depends on where you're at. But yeah, situation. You know, and then I never really played with these varietals, you know, Merlot, Cab, Chardonnay. I grew up and learned Norton, Chamberson, uh, Vidal Blanc, Vignole. Then we've done some, a little Marquette. Who am I missing? Who am I missing? I'm missing somebody. Tremignet? Yes, Tremignet's the other one. You know, so French American and native varietals, you know, hybrid. So that's what I grew up on making. So it's similar winemaking. It just depends on what style you want to make it in. As far as I'm aware, there's only wow. three hybrid grapes that are used to make wine in Arizona. The Norton has almost all been removed. We've talked about mm-hmm. that. I still have not heard one way or the other whether the Baco Noir at... You might know. is What's up with the Baco Noir at uh, Bruzy? Did it not work? Did it not take? As far as I know, it's not producing it. But the, how are the vines? So did they... oh, I haven't seen... I didn't go harvest this year, so... I know that the Vidal is still producing, but I haven't seen those vines. Okay. The other vines that were planted last I was out there, they were still very young. If they had cordons, they were not even a pencil thick. They're still being trained. Okay. So we have no idea if they're... Yeah, so I don't know. I mean, they wouldn't be producing until next year, maybe, at earliest, but... Based on how I saw them last year... year ago now? Uh, I wouldn't expect them to be producing next year. Okay. Just with how small the cordons are, or they were. I know. I would love to see an Arizona Baco Noir, because Baco Noir is another one of my favorite hybrid fun. varietals. And I've only tasted it once or twice, and I would love to yeah. encounter it again. Well, and Bruzy, that, what, a mile high? Over. Is it over? That's 6,000. I thought they were right about 56. No, I think they're 6,000. Oh, okay. They're definitely the second highest vineyard in the state. Yeah. I knew they were up there. Uh, the highest is a private vineyard somewhere also on the Muggy Rim that's growing Sauv Blanc. Oh. Well, that's one I've worked with, too. Oh. <laughs> I've done Sauv Blanc. There you go. Trying to think who else. But, uh, so you got Vidal, Vignoles, and Sauv Blanc. Yeah. Uh, that are the three hybrid grapes being grown and produced who in Arizona. Is, who else has grown the Traminette? I know they've got some. Oh, Page uh, Springs. four. Sorry. Page Springs uh, yeah. doing Traminette. Uh, supposedly there's a vineyard growing Saval also near Tombstone. Mm-hmm. But uh, that's neither here nor there. And, and we're getting exceedingly rambly, so yeah. we're, we're going to uh, toast and Bring, say oh. goodbye. Sorry. Oh. Did you talk about history of Missouri in your previous ones? A little bit. That um, before Prohibition, Missouri was one of the top producing states of wine. It was, and actually, um, we were talking about Sorry. this. No, shout out, for, shout well, out for Missouri, because that's well, that's big history. No, it Missouri is. Missouri had the first ADA, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So the August area. That was what I focused um, on in the last episode. Yeah. Was the first mm-hmm. ADA. So everyone, everyone always says Herman. It's actually Herman was not. It's Augusta, but Augusta, the town of Augusta and Herman are right next to each other. So the Augusta AVA brings in Herman as well. But there's, yeah. so everyone just kind of says Herman because you travel to Herman and then drive over to the town of Augusta. So yeah, it was the first AVA, so woo-hoo. Yeah. Um, to, to excerpt from uh, Wines of Eastern North America by Hudson Cattell, uh, please contact me, Mr. Cattell. I want you on my podcast. <laughs> Missouri had more than 100 wineries prior to Prohibition, and it was from that state that Herman Yeager and George Guzman 
shipped rootstocks to France during the Phylloxera epidemic. So um, somewhere in there, C.J. Riley is involved. And C.J. Riley was the other guy, along with Munson, who, who was responsible for basically figuring out grafting. It was also where Cook's well-known Imperial Champagne got its start. Apparently, if that's well-known, I've never heard of it. Uh, unless it's the same company that does Cook's Champagne in California today, which maybe it is. And I don't know. Uh, of course, Prohibition began, wineries closed. There were two monasteries uh, that continued to make sacramental wines. Thank God. Um, yay, my Catholic homies. Yep. Um, uh, I mean, I'm East Side Orthodox. Yo, sup. But whatever. They're, they're close enough to, to be friends with. Uh, anyway. Um, uh, one of which was St. Stanislaus Seminary in Florissant, uh, which was Jesuit. Of course, everything got torn out during Prohibition, with the exception of uh, Concords, grown by members of the National Grape Cooperative Association. Side note, I gotta bring a wine from a winery, um, Stonehill, that it's built obviously on a hill, and it has caves, and there's a whole story about Cast and Herman has history of the roads running red with wine, because the government came in and were breaking Cast oh, and barrels. Um, so painful. Via whole yeah. side podcast because i can give you that entire tour of the cellar right here right now in arizona oh that'd be cool because <laughs> i went there so much as a kid i mean that'd be cool yeah um, so that's a, i mean I, that could be an episode three because i eventually would need to do an episode three for missouri well i was I, gonna do the cabernet door well um, and that'd be fun because i can bring some other wines from that aba yeah. too which would be kind of cool some reds and whites yeah cool anyways uh, speaking Side of stonio uh, that was one of the newer ones um, yeah. that reopened in 1965 when it became really more or less legal again. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. But on that note, this is the first one I've had that I actually do truly, honestly like. Mm -hmm. To the point where I would sit with a glass of this. Fuck, we've been sitting for 36 minutes with this <laughs> wine. This is, I think, the longest recording so far. Yeah. And uh, I'm thinking of cigars I want to pair with this, which didn't happen to any other Nortons I've encountered. Nice. So obviously I really dig this vintage. Stick with me. I'll share some good Nortons with you. Yeah, I'm, I'm down for that. And also, you smoke cigars too, mm -hmm. so. Mm. Uh, until next time, gang, let's make America great again. Salute! This was an episode of the Make America Grape Again podcast, sponsored, produced, and recorded by Cody Burkett, the Arizona Wine Monk. You can reach us at makeamericagrapepodcast at gmail.com, on Instagram at, at theazwinemonk, or on Twitter at cvburkett. Be sure to also check out our website, makeamericagrapeagainpodcast.com.